1: There is a passage in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, I want us to read together. We find these words, But what things were gained to me, those I counted laws for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but laws for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And I want to lift up this thought before you. Will the real church please stand up? Will the real church please stand up? I remember as a boy watching on the black and white television set that we had, a very popular American game show. The show challenged a panel of celebrity judges to correctly identify a contestant who usually had some unusual occupation or experience. The central character and two imposters were placed together, and they all pretended to be the central character. The celebrity panelists questioned the team of challengers. Now, the imposters could tell a lie. But the central character was sworn to tell the truth. And I remember it as if it was yesterday at the end of each episode. The host, the narrator would ask, will the real Mr. or Mrs. Smith please stand up? This is exactly the challenge that the church, the contemporary church, is facing today. Somebody is asking, many are asking, will the real church please stand up? So often we are being molded and we are being shaped by the culture rather than shaping the culture. God has called us to be salt and light And he says that a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. And the reality of it is that some people, the only church they will see this week is the church they'll see in you. And that's why I believe it's relevant. It's an urgent question. It's an urgent challenge to just say, will the real church please stand up. Some young boy or girl who's searching for answers, some family experiencing brokenness, somebody facing a health crisis, someone dealing with economic turmoil in their life, someone across your street, someone across your desk, someone down the hallway from you may need the real church this week to stand up. Paul's writing this letter from Philippi. It is the most joyous, the most buoyant, the most effervescent, the most enthusiastic of all the letters that he writes. The word joy or rejoicing or some form of those words occur in this book of the Bible more than it does than in any other book he writes. he's not a mystery guest or a contestant. He has been sworn to tell the truth. God has arrested him on the Damascus Road, and this brother is committed to serving the Lord. And when you read Philippians, you have a sense that he was busy even in his state of incarceration of making a difference for God. Because at the end of the book, it says he sings greetings not just from uh, the Christians and the general populace, but the saints in Caesar's household. When I looked at Paul's life and when I look at his autobiographical affirmations in this passage, I asked the text the question, what happens when the real church stands up? Then what does it look like? What happens when the real church stands up? First of all, Will the real church stand up with a passion for a perfect person? In verse 10, look what Paul says. He says that I may may know him. Notice what Paul does not say. He did not say, I want to know about him. Some folk know about him but don't know him. The Radical Jesus Seminar claims to know about him, but they don't know him. Because they say only 18% of what is attested to Jesus in the New Testament is authentic. Some folk know of him. Oh, I heard about him when I was a little boy. My grandmama had a testimony. My mother had a testimony. But I'm telling you, I'm glad I know him for myself. You can't get to heaven on the coattails of somebody else's testimony. You ought to know him for yourself. He says, I want to know him. I'm not just satisfied with knowing about him. I'm not just satisfied with knowing of him. I want to know him. I want to know him. And the word translated know in our Bibles is a word that takes us beyond abstract conceptual knowledge. The word in the original implies that there's a relationship. It's in the context of the relationship that our ancestors could say every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before when you know him. Will the real church please stand up with a passion for a perfect person? D.L. Moody, the late great evangelist, preached in chicago all around the world d.l moody said there was a man at one of his meetings who came every meeting he was so excited and one night he got a chance to talk to this man he says are you a christian he says no he says why not and he gave him some reasons he says, well why are you coming to the meetings and acting like you do he says i'm not a christian but i love hearing you tell the story when other people look at us, do they see this passion? We got to have the passion of a Job said when he lost everything, even his wife walked out on him. So y'all can do what you want to do, but all my appointed days, I'm going to wait till my change come. The passion of a Jacob, when he was backed up against the wall, And he's praying. He says, Lord, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. The passion of a Peter who says, when others walk away from the Lord because his teachings were hard, he looks at the Lord and he says, where can we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. But to know him, it'll cost you something. And so will the real church please stand up with a passion for a perfect person. With a passion for a perfect person. Well, will the real church please stand up? Secondly in the text with possession of a proven power. Possession of a proven power. Notice I said possession and not profession. A lot of folk who profess they got it don't have it. They got it because they can pay their bills on time. They got it because their health is good. They got it because they don't have no problems in their house. They have it because people think well of them. But when you have it, you have it when you lose everything. You have it when you're all by yourself. You have it when people lie on you. You have it when people talk about you. You have it when you're all by yourself. You have it when you're in a crowd. Where is it in the text? Paul said... Not only that I may know him, but look what else he says, and the power of his resurrection. I want to know the power of his resurrection. In this text, Paul uses the word for power from which we get our word dynamite. You see, because being a child of God means that we have some dynamite. It's the same word that's used in Acts 1 and 8. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And then you shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. I stand today to tell you that the real church should stand up because God did not call a weak church. God has called a powerful church. In fact, he indicated the affirmation or the presence of power when he said in Matthew upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The same power God used to step out in the midst of nothing and create everything that is. That power is available to every believer. That's your kind of glory that led the children of Israel in the wilderness. A pillar of fire at night and a cloud in the daytime. In the book of Colossians, Paul says that same glory is living in each and every one of us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So often is our problem the same problem that the woman of Samaria had. In John chapter 4, she had a problem of not knowing this. Because what the Lord said to her, this woman who was devoid of power in her own society, looked down upon by the people in her community, Jesus said, if you only knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you, you would ask of him living water, and he would put you in touch, I'm paraphrasing here, with a water of well that would not run dry. So often we have not, because we ask not. Paul said, I want to know the power of his resurrection. Paul had discovered in his life God's repeat mechanism. And he knew he wasn't only good when he was on a missionary journey, but he was able, even in the midst of a prison situation. But what Paul says here is that I want to know the fellowship of his power and the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul understood that often the fellowship of his power or sufficiency is experienced in the midst of the fellowship of his suffering. Some of us this morning We want victories, but we don't want our valleys. We want blessings, but we don't want the burden. We want joy, but we don't want the journey that will precipitate the joy. Oh, we say give us our crown, but we don't want to take up our cross and follow him. We want the mountain, but we don't want the misery that goes with the mountain. But I'm here to tell you this morning, if I never had a problem, I wouldn't know God could solve them. I wouldn't know what faith in God could do. But that's what Paul is asking for here. He says, I want to know your power, but I know it comes with a price. I have to also be willing to go through suffering. And so will the real church please stand up with a passion for a perfect person, with possession of a proven power. But will the real church please stand up as participants in a providential plan? Paul says, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. And look at verse 10. I'm not making it up. It's in the text. He says, being made conformable unto his death. Every member of God's church is enrolled in a providential plan that stretched from time to eternity. And this text tells us that God is not trying to make us comfortable. He's trying to conform us into the image of his son. And as Jeremiah wrote in Jeremiah 18, sometimes we are marred in the potter's hand. I'm telling you, God has to hurt us sometime in order to help us. Some of us wouldn't pray like we do if we hadn't gone through something. Sometimes when I think about the church, I'm thinking if it's a good idea, if we don't put a sign up in here somewhere, excuse our dust because we're under construction. It's the same testimony Paul has and you and I ought to have, he says, forgetting those things that are behind. I press on toward the mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Will the real church please stand up? Because we are participants in a providential plan. So much of the gospel being preached today is a gospel that seeks to desensitize and anesthetize people from their problems. People are being led to believe that if you have a problem, if you're going through something, it's because you don't have enough faith. But my brothers and sisters, whatever happened to what James said, when he said, count it, he said, count it all joy. When you fall into divers temptation for the trying of your faith, work of patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you might be complete and entire, lacking nothing. I've learned to count it all joy. I'm like David when he said weeping may endure for a night, but joy, but joy come in the morning time. I'm a participant in a providential plan. And that's the last thing Paul said. Before he moves to the fourth point, uh, there's a promise of a pleasing prospect. Will the real church please stand up? Not just with a passion for a perfect person, not just with possession of a proven power, not just participating in a providential plan, but with the promise of a pleasing prospect. He says in verse 11, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection. Now, when he says if here, I don't want anybody to think Paul is speculating because the resurrection for Paul was not an iffy situation. He was looking for a day when God would release him from the prison of his body. And I'm so glad that I can say that my best days are not behind me, but my best days are in front of me. It doth not yet appear what I shall be, but when the Lord comes back, I'm gonna be like him. I'm gonna stand up today. And you know why I have to stand up? Because on a hill called Calvary. Some 2,000 years ago, he stood up for me. He didn't have to do it, but he did it, not just for me, but he did it for you. He died on an old rugged cross and he stood up he stood up for my sin, and he died until my sin was paid for. He died until heaven got noticed that everything was done. But that's not the end of the story. He got up that first Sunday. He got up with all power, with all power uh, in his hand. I'm going to stand up because God has been good to me. I'm going to stand up because God has smiled on me. Is there anybody here that Lord's been good to?
0: You have been listening to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. We pray that you have been encouraged with what your ears have heard and your hearts have felt. Explore our website at tdstubblefield.org for more information about us and to obtain resources provided by T.D. Stubblefield Ministries. Until next time, be blessed and remember to stop stressing and start stepping, advancing in faith, hope, and love by reading and applying the Word of God so you can stand on certain truth for uncertain times.